Hey, science fans. One thing we don't get to talk about enough on this show is environmental concerns, ecology, resources, that sort of thing. I wish we we had more on, on this topic on the show. Fortunately, I found a new podcast that I believe you guys will enjoy called Waterline. Waterline podcast is everything related to water, how to make sustainable irrigation, can water bring peace, how do you uh, keep water clean and and safe and how much money does does our current water system cost in the US what changes can we make and how we use water i just listened to a fantastic episode called water in peace hydropolitics it was all about um, the many different conflicts over different regions of water we've drawn all of these arbitrary lines for our kind of political regions and one thing that we didn't really factor in when doing that was water sources so now there's all of these uncomfortable to say the least conflicts uh, where all of these areas overlap over water sources fantastic episode the waterline podcast is an initiative of israel new tech a part of the israeli ministry of economy and industry so check it out for everything you need to know about the economics political social behavioral technological and environmental aspects of water search for waterline podcast on itunes or in your android podcast app everybody already had the first three days of shooting my new documentary hoping it's going to lead to a bunch more stuff down the line already taking meetings with a few different people about other future things uh, yeah, exciting stuff. I had my first ketamine treatment ever as in a clinic, and uh, we recorded that. I got my 4K GoPro, and we used it for recording. It came in especially handy recording a float tank, or we included that. bunch of other stuff as well. I don't want to spoil everything, but I'm also going to be shooting a whole bunch of interviews and various other things at the Psychedelic Science Conference here in Oakland. This week, I'm doing the first ever psychedelic-themed live Here We Are podcast this Saturday. If you happen to be around in Oakland, let me know. That is Saturday, April 22nd at 5 p.m. And, um at the uh, psychedelic science conference really looking forward to that we're going to record that and everything as well and just exciting times a lot going on i i haven't been sleeping much lately i'm exceptionally busy and it's in a good way a lot of exciting stuff lots more to come i hope you enjoy today's episode are we yes where are we here why are we here not entirely clear we are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all it's immensely bizarre here we are welcome everybody to the here we are podcast i am in boulder colorado i'm recording from a past guest house peter mcgraw who uh who lets me crash <laughs> and i'm feeling really bad today i got some soap from a friend yeah that's psychoactive but it smells like patchouli okay <laughs> and i hate patchouli but pete has a very strict no patchouli smell gotcha in his house and i didn't think it'd be that bad but now his whole entire house smells 
almost like patchouli. Right, right. Because right. I wanted to get high off of soap. <laughs> did you did you clean yourself with the soap? Yeah, okay, yeah. Gotcha. The cleanest I've ever been. Right. But joining me today, associate professor of management at the University of Melbourne, Adam Barsky joining me. Thank um, you. You're my second Australian professor on right. the show. Interesting. Oh, I don't yeah. know the I don't know the other one. It's it's a big country. Uh, Yeah, it is. It's enormous. I've pretty much only been to Sydney and um, Melbourne and Kangaroo Island. Oh, right. There there you go. I've I've been there as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah, It's it's wonderful. It's awesome, man. I like that they have to have like the fences uh, around the outdoor restaurants to keep the kangaroos from saying hi. Right, exactly. It's like a wildlife preserve. But uh, I remember when I was there last time, they they had this huge problem with cats that were just like feral cats, I guess, were destroying the uh, population of these little par- penguins, fairy penguins. Have you yeah, heard about this? Actually, yeah, you can go at night and like go on a little tour. That's it, that. and they like all have sex with each other, and it's apparently really quite an intense experience. And, and in fact, actually, they stopped calling them fairy penguins. That's, uh, it's, that was politically incorrect, and so they, they've, <laughs> I think they're called little penguins now or something. That, that was it. The, the penguins were getting very offended. Yeah, they were. They, they're, yeah, they're, they're sensitive. They they're are. extremely. They're, they're environmentally sensitive. They're, they're psychologically sensitive. They're, uh, <laughs> so you do a lot, of, um, a, a lot of management stuff, which is why I'm uh, interested in how... Well, this is, this is a, just a small bit of your work, but I'm interested how um, you got into researching some meditation and what that has to do with uh, any of your right. other work, or is it just right. a completely different project? You know, it's uh, it's it's a little bit uh, it's a little bit related, but um, but I would say it is a left field project that came more out of sort of a personal insight and experience rather than um, any sort of long history of research in that area. I mean, I did write a paper with one of my colleagues, uh, Professor Lee Waters, the Melbourne School of Graduate Education, on sort of meditation and mindfulness interventions in schools. So I got sort of interested back then in that. I do some work with uh, leadership, I do some leadership development coursework and uh, executive education and some research in the area of sort of self-regulation and, and, and development, leadership development um, involving sort of emotional regulation, emotional control. And mindfulness is a part of that. Sort of that's one of the tools and techniques in that whole domain. Um, but... This really came out of an experience that, that really had nothing to do with my university life. I was here in Boulder a couple of years ago, at a, uh, and I went to a meditation retreat with my, with my brother and my father. We decided we were going to go and give that a shot. I'd never, never done it before. Where are you from? I'm from Albuquerque, actually, New Mexico. Ah, yeah, uh, this yeah. is like yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I'm from a small town in Wisconsin, and uh, yeah. this is uh, this is not an activity that uh, I can picture my my brother, and right, my right. Father I don't think they were, especially you know, I don't think they were, you know, I, I don't think any of us were were um, uh, you know yogis going in, right. um, and uh, all of us, all of us were sort of kind of interested in the in the uh, in you know learning more about it and getting having the experience. And we decided we were just actually my dad decided he was going to do it, and then we the two of us decided we would go with him. And so, um, so we went north of here, about an, it was about an hour north, um, I believe it was a cult compound of some kind, um, but, uh, but not, you know, that, were, that was just, they just rent out the place. Sure. Anyway, so we... Uh, we the, some, the cults need money, too, once in a while. Exactly. If you're not, if you're not getting every, 
all of the income from, right. you know, if you're not getting new members fast enough, yeah. to their life savings. And he's sometimes, oh, we got to rent out the compound again and Airbnb exactly. or cult compound. Exactly. And they probably don't have like as enthusiastic a leader as they need. They probably don't have quite the, the, the sort of the, the charismatic version. So he doesn't bring in the, the dough. Um, but if you're looking to start a cult, that's like a very safe venture into it where you can just rent someone else's company. Exactly. It really gets you to that sort of, yeah, it's not, it's not the same investment as building the whole thing. That's yourself. it. That's it. It's like a sort of a slow burn. I mean, I've just um, been thinking a lot about this. Yeah, no, no. I, how to start my own cult. I mean, I think this is a feeling we all have. I think it's a natural transition from comedy <laughs> to cult leadership. I think yeah. you've sort of got that gravitas. Yeah. Well, uh, uh Maybe maybe uh, you'll be able to help me with with uh, some of your organizational <laughs> right right. This is about me helping you find your true <laughs> yeah, calling. Yeah, yeah. Right, That's, this is actually part. I didn't of my... know it until right now. Right. But the, the reason why you were here and you were right. meant to be here yeah. is to help me uh, form my call. Right, right. Well, that's usually where things go. <laughs> <laughs> this is not the first time you've showed exactly. up at a place. Exactly, that this has and it's that's, that's how it's ended. Um, so uh, so anyway, so I was at this uh, this this retreat, and if you've never been to one of these, it was uh, sort of an interesting uh, experience. You're not supposed to talk to each other, right? Obviously, you're meditating the whole time, um, but you're not also not supposed to look at each other, um, so you don't make any eye contact with anybody for the weekend. Can I ask you how much you meditated before this like what your like how many years you've been i had were you done zero meditation i think really i think i'd never actually oh. been able to because I, I think i'd misunderstood and you just jumped right in. yeah wow. well i figured that's the best way to do it if you're gonna like because yeah. i just like i guess i sort of knew and one of my one of my buddies had sort of had who was very into meditation it explained some of the fundamentals to me yeah. and I, I think i misunderstood mm-hmm. what the point of meditation was that the idea was to sort of clear your head completely of, of thoughts. And I was like, my head is so full of thoughts all the time yeah. that that is just not possible. Like that's that for me, it's just like anybody. not going to happen. Right. Um, but then he said, you know, that's not really what it is. It's not about clearing your head of thoughts. It's like, it's about not attaching to those thoughts because the, uh, the anxiety that's created by thoughts is not the thought itself, but it's the story that you create that, that sort of builds upon the initial thought that you have the sort of what ifs or the, you know, I wish that thing didn't happen in the past and sort of the, the replaying of a, of a previous event. So it's not the, the thought itself that you've got to worry about. It's the, it's the story that gets told on top of that. And so, you know, what he said is it's not really about clearing your mind of thoughts, but not attaching to any individual thoughts. And so that's, that's a way of sort of thinking about, at least initially, the, the process of what, it's, what you're trying to accomplish. And I'm like, that sounds more doable. That seems like something I might be able to do. Yeah, I always have, uh, I always go like 10 days with sometime, or I'll, I'll go a period of time, hmm. maybe five days where I feel like I'm like, ah, oh, that one, I didn't really get much out of that. I, I try to meditate every day. Oh, okay. And, um, and then once in a while I'll be like, ah, that, like I yeah. learned something new about it. And so, yeah. so like a recent one like that, and it's always like kind of simple yeah. stuff. Um, a recent one like that was just realizing like I was just so way more distracted than normal. Yeah. Um, way more um, busy thoughts and attaching and resisting than I normally experience. Right. And then I realized what it was, was just a constant to-do list mm. like running through my head right. and realizing like, oh, that's just what's on my mind right, right. now because there's all these kind of open loops with right. all of these tasks that I haven't delegated. Yet right, 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 right. And that sort of thing. Right. Apparently, I think I read a study about this one time where they, they showed that if you were uh, able to write down things, if that writing things down on a to-do list actually does get it out of your mind. 
So there's some, there's some, I'm terrible about writing to-do lists. I just try to keep it in my head. But because of that, yeah. you're constantly referencing back to it and being like, oh yeah, wait, did I do that thing yet? Or, and so writing it down and getting like a sort of a plan together and a very micro level plan about what you're doing is really useful for clearing that part of your brain up. Yeah. Pete, Pete just told me about this book, getting things done that mm-hmm. I just started reading because I'm a little overwhelmed with, I have a, a in a good way. I have a wonderful right. amount of opportunities coming in. Right, right, right. right. So, the problem with but, books like that is that, that just to get them to read the book, you have to be able to get something done. Yeah, and if you yeah. can't do that already, you're never going to read the book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like... It, well, uh, yeah, the, but uh, I mean, those, sometimes I just need a little bit of... Pete's, Pete's giving me a thumbs up because he, he's happy that I plugged both him and a book that he likes. <laughs> right. Um, I... I feel like when I, whenever I read something that's a little toward the self-helpy yeah. sort of thing, um, the benefit that I gain from it is in feeling motivated during the actual reading of right, it, right. rather than the lessons that, that, <laughs> right. that, I, that I'm learning. Right, right. But still, it's right, right. It, like it's at least like right. if I'm reading a book about being on top of my shit, I'll be a little more on top of my shit for the duration of me reading. Yeah, book. yeah, exactly. And during but during the time, you feel good because you're like, oh, I can imagine myself being on top of my shit. Yeah, yeah. like I've now started, sort of got this idea in my head of that person being a, being a. But reality. Yeah. Yeah. Now I hear you. Um, so, so this retreat, what oh, yeah. happened? Anyway, uneventful. I, I go off on all sorts of tangents. That's fine. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to go with that. So the, the retreat itself was uneventful. I mean, obviously, you're just meditating. So like, if it's eventful, that's actually probably a really bad retreat. But I, I had a good experience. I was, I was uh, you know, I learned a lot from the, uh, the sort of instructor. And I got a lot of, um, I, got, I really, I just got a lot out of it. And then I can't, but it, you know, it was, it was hard. Is, is there, is there uh, like a little thing here or there that kind of stuck with you that, that you share with people or, or was it just about of... that particular experience? I mean, well, I'm yeah. sure there's, there's, there's more to the story than, okay. than oh. it was fine. Nothing happened. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but, uh, and so that, but in terms of, in terms of meditation, I mean, I, uh, I mean, I got, I, I sort of understood what the practice was about. I got some practice doing it, and so now I now I do do, do I do meditate regularly, um, and so that gave me the sort of wherewithal to be able to do that. In terms of like personal insights, I didn't have a huge number of them in that situation. I just was sort of surprised by the ability for me to sit quietly and do nothing, where I you know where I'm generally quite a um, gregarious person and get a lot of energy from other people, and in fact feel like I need to be around other people all the time. I have a lot of trouble sitting still, and it's part of being very highly extroverted. Um, I had the opposite revelation when I start meditation. I'm like, I'm going to kill this. I, I yeah. sit around and do nothing all of the time. Right, right. And so I'm going to be really good at this. And then yeah. I was like, oh, this is much harder. Than yeah, I yeah, yeah. Well, that's interesting. You know, I think, um, so I think, yeah, I think it's kind of a surprising thing for a lot of people because my, my brother who is, is more, uh, reserved than I am. He's not, not more reserved. He's just more introverted than I am. Um, I expected him to really, take to it really, really well. And me to have a lot of, a lot of trouble to, uh, you know, sort of mm-hmm. making it happen. And I think he, I, and maybe it's just because he's, he's doesn't need that experience as much. He didn't, I don't think he found it as quite as like revelation, uh, quite a revelation as much of a revelation in terms of a personal experience as I did in terms of being able to do something you didn't think you were going to be able to do. But so the, the ability to sit there quietly 
with my eyes closed for a long period of time. Simply, you know, we would just meditate. You'd sort of hour and a half in the morning, hour and a half right after a snack. You know, you've just been meditating all day. And I just didn't think I was going to be capable of doing that and being, uh, being alone. And this really leads me into sort of how, what the next revelation was in terms of, in terms of um, what led me to, to this current study that I'm working on. And that was when I went back to Boulder and I was watching uh, Orange is the New Black with my wife. Watch that by myself. Um, um, well, I, I liked the first season, yeah. I think. I, I hated most of the second season and right. then in the end, uh, toward the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, they're saying some interesting things here. Right. And then I haven't seen the third season. I like it. I think, it's, I think it, it really humanizes, mm-hmm. you know, a population that we don't think a whole lot about. Um, but one of the things that in this, and I think it might have been the first season when this was happening, um, they were talking about the shoe and people going to the shoe and... And one of the women was just solitary confinement. Solitary confinement, right? That's solitary confinement. Right, right. Everybody's right. Just, just in case, right? They don't know what the shoe is. It's not actually a shoe. (laughs) It's a. uh, There's a shoe. Yeah. Right. Right. It's a fantasy. (laughs) This whole aspect of that joke. New form of torture. (laughs) Right. Right. It's a sneaker. Um, So the uh, so they they were talking about the shoe and the ladies, you know saying, you know, you can't talk to anybody and it's, you're totally isolated and you can't look at anybody. And, and I was like, you know, that's weird. I just like paid money to go and do that for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I got a lot out of it. <laughs> um, and maybe it has something to do with the, the, uh, you know, the context in which, which that occurred. I, I you're chose going to, to say, it. maybe I need to go to prison. Yeah, exactly. Right. So this is right. That's where I came to with all of this is that we only need to spend some time in prison. No, that's, that's not it at all. But I, I was thinking, you know, I wonder if you could spend that time more productively, um, that not just productively, but like more in a, in a more rehabilitative uh, way than in a, in a sort of punishment uh, or punitive um, standpoint. So is there's, if there's a way of recontextualizing some of the punishment that we do as being rehabilitation by giving people tools in those environments or in those experiences that helps them to, to grow and to develop sort of mental resources that will allow them both to cope with that experience itself and also cope with the experiences that they have afterwards. So I thought, you know, what if we were able to provide mindfulness training to people who were in solitary confinement? That was basically the initial insight. Mm. And I was just like, you know, just, just as a simple tool to maybe help people get through this process in a more sort of humanized, and there's, there's problems with that because, you know, it, it potentially, uh, well, there's, there's, I'll, I can talk about what some of the, the issues with that are, um, both ethically and. Sure. But the, the general, the basic idea was to try to, if you're, if you're going to be doing nothing, maybe you should be doing something <laughs> with, yeah, with yeah. nothing, yeah. Um, and in a way that that is not um, that has been shown to have some psychological benefits. But I, you know, but by the way, do you happen to know what uh, what kind of some of the consensus is with when you mention it's been shown to have some psychological benefits? Mm. Because I'm someone who. Very much. I was skeptical, and I I feel like meditation has changed my life, even if I don't do it as often as I uh, would like. But it's also a thing that I can't imagine works for everybody and works the same for everybody. And I don't know how much um, I, I'm right. not familiar with how much research there is out there. Well, there, you know, I think there's there's more and more research that um, that is showing reasonably conclusively that it's it's pretty good for you that it's sort of on par in mental health terms with antidepressants. Um, and, but it takes a lot longer, and it's a lot more work um, to, to, to get this through this process of, of doing mindfulness. And one of the things that it does is it, it can influence the brain chemistry um, and some of the physiology. 
So there's been some work showing uh, that the, the density of the uh, neurons in your amygdala can be uh, changed by, uh, which is the fear sort of area of your brain can be. So it can be uh, changed by, by doing uh, significant, amount, significant, significant amounts of meditation with the idea that you'll be less reactive. And they have, there has been shown to be some research showing that people are less reactive after doing mindfulness for a period of time. Um, you can create just like a half of a second between the time that you have a feeling and the time that you act on well, it. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, try to create some separation between those two things because it's, it's, the, it's the attachment to the thought and that, that causes the reactivity, right? And so if you can sort of break that link a little bit and say, okay, that thought or the, 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 the emotion that I'm feeling, the experience that I'm having right this moment is just an experience. That experience may or may not last forever. Um, and that I can be a little bit more considered in my, my response if I can create a little distance there. Um, yeah, and, and just, the, just the shift in, in kind of observing a thought rather than experiencing it or, or feeling it yeah. in a way. Kind of when I, just once in a while, and this is the hardest thing, to, but once in a while I, I feel like my whole consciousness just pull back mm. and, and see like all of, the, all of the thoughts in my head or, you know, in that particular moment right and um and it's like they're in, in a it's almost like they're in a different thing right entirely well just seeing your thoughts as thoughts yeah right it's like they're just thoughts they're not like actually the world right um and that's hard because your brain doesn't does, doesn't do a good job of distinguishing between thoughts and reality in terms of your emotional response so i uh you know i had this this uh an experience not too long ago where like you know i just i just started obsessing about you know fascist takeover of America or something like that. Um, yeah. <laughs> which I think... Many, just, a, many, just an odd thought. Yeah, I just don't know. Just odd, where, out of nowhere. Where did that come weird. from? <laughs> just, <laughs> just the weirdest idea. Yeah, I know. It's like... <laughs> um, sure. and, um, and I remember uh, talking to my wife about this and she's like, you know, they're, they're, you know it's not that, that what you're thinking is, is completely ludicrous um, in terms of that it's impossible for it to happen. But the way that you're thinking about it, that it's going to happen, the story that you've played out in your head is only mm -hmm. one of a bazillion ways things could play out. Mm -hmm. And so the likelihood that you're worried, that, but you're reacting to it as if it's real. And so you've got to ask yourself, is this real or is this just something I've made up? And am I, ma you know, is this, is, am I reacting to a fantasy or am I reacting to the reality of the situation that I'm in right now? Um, and that's a, you know, that's part of, part of that is being able to disconnect from, is the thought a real thing or is the thought just a thought? Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's, it's a useful way of, of trying to just get some, some sort of control when you're, when, when you're ruminating about things and when you're, uh, immediately reacting to things and that the research is pretty clear that, that it helps people to lower their, um, lower their sort of reactivity. And as a result, there's been some, some significant physiological benefits to, um, to meditating regularly, uh, both in terms of blood pressure, um, heart disease, things like that. Mm. So I think it's pretty clear it's good for you in a lot of ways. And it's not, doesn't seem to be bad for you in any way. <laughs> so that's the other nice thing, is it doesn't seem to have any real negative uh, side effects. Well, that is 10 minutes that you could have spent fretting about something. Right, exactly. Well, here's, and, this is, and this is one of the problems with, um, with mindfulness, for example, integrating mindfulness into, a, into an institution of some kind, like a school or a prison, is that, especially a school. And so, one of the, and so getting back to the project I was, I was sure, talking sure. about was, um, you know, I started looking into prisons and starting to mm -hmm. contact some people in criminal justice and thinking about whether this is a project that could be done in prisons and realized that that was going to be a very difficult place to start. 
Um, but I've been doing work in schools for the last couple of years, um, working on well-being in schools and positive education uh, initiatives, um, and studying some some um, things through the education department at the University of Melbourne. And um, so I thought this would be an ideal sort of situation because we that's another place that we punish people. Um, and so that's another place where people are, are put in, into uh, institutionally. School always felt like prison to me. Right, totally. And it yeah. shouldn't, right? It's like, it's, you know, we, it should not be a, an environment where it's coercive and punitive um, and controlling as a way, because if we're trying to create, you know, develop, well-developed human beings coming out of college, they need to be able to engage in self-discipline. They need to engage in the sort of be able to control them, their own behaviors and be able to um, not react to the society around them or a situation around them that is that is chaotic. Um, and a command and control model or a highly punitive model or a highly, highly directive model doesn't really teach some of those skills. And, you know, you learn very clearly in a behavioral way what's what what's reward and what's punished. Um, in school, in many in many schools, but you, a lot of kids don't develop a real high degree of self control during that process, and so, um, so mindfulness might be. A, I thought, my, you know, mindfulness, and people have talked about this for a long time. That mindfulness in at the education system might be a really important intervention to be able to sort of help with that building those sorts of skills for, for, for individuals. And so it's been used as a teaching tool for a long time, or not for a long time, but it's increasingly being used as a tool for teaching to, to be taught. But one of the problems with trying to teach mindfulness in schools and trying to embed it within any sort of institution is that it does take time. It takes time away from other things that you might want to spend be spending time on. And if you're a school in a highly, you know, you know when you get these educational programs that are coming down that are highly focused on test scores, and you've got limited amounts of time and limited amounts of resources to be able to teach this test or teach to these resources, teach, teach to these materials, then you may not want to spend that time or you may just not be willing to spend that time or the school may not be willing to spend that time um, doing, you know, 10 minutes of mindfulness at the beginning of class. Which um, sounds like 10 minutes of nothingness. It tends to, to 10 minutes, right, exactly. Depending on who, who and, you're pitching this idea to. Exactly. And the, the benefits are long-term. The benefits aren't necessarily, necessarily immediate. Um, and so it can be difficult to get some buy-in. And so one of the things I was thinking, um, that if you, if you want to create a nurturing environment within a school system, um, one thing you, you can try to do is try to embed elements that would make it a nurturing system into the, into the fabric of the institution. So like sort of attach it to an institutional practice that's already pre-existing, rather than try to implement it as, a, as an add-on within assembly or teaching or something like that. And one of the institutional practices we have is discipline, mm. is sort of behavior management. So, you know, we send kids to time out when they're, when, you know, teachers spend a lot of time on that as well. It's the most stressful part of their job. Um, they don't have a lot of tools for dealing with it, especially young teachers. They come in and you're either a doormat, you know, you've got to risk being a doormat if you let everybody do what they, what they want or being a total jerk, you know, asshole if you're not, if you're not, if you're sending everybody to the principal's office all the time. Mm-hmm. And so you're really, there's a risk here of, of there, that teachers spend a lot of time on this, on this problem of behavior management, but don't have a lot of tools to deal with it. But it's something that they have to do because they have to keep control of the, t- of the school. And so what we, uh, what we, what I, th- what I thought about was, is, is, was, would it be possible to use mindfulness as a option or as an opportunity within that, that context of creating, um, or, or of the beha- of behavior management in the classroom and, and at the home potentially. So using, doing this with parents as well. And so, uh, I've teamed up with a, a not-for-profit in, um, Australia, uh, that does called Smiling Minds. It does a, uh, a app 
mindfulness app and we're in the process right now we haven't done we haven't finished this this process or even really begun the process we're writing writing finishing up a grant application at the moment to take this into schools and develop a program that targets both teachers and and parents and school systems and and tries to develop a a mechanism, a set of tools that teachers can use, parents can use, um, to help recontextualize the the sort of disciplinary pun- the like punishment practice or disciplinary action as being something that's intended to really help and develop the the individual. Um, Does that make sense? Absolutely. In fact, um, I, I may have uh, someone I might be able to put you in contact with that might be able to help. Have you heard of Headspace? That I do. Headspace? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I had uh, um, the CEO, um, Andy Puttycomb, and, uh, right. on, and they do, they uh, for every subscription um, that they sell, they give one away to a school right. or a prison. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you could talk with them about some of the, some of the troubles that they've had and what they've had sure. success with. No, I know. And it's mm-hmm. smiling minds has done that quite, quite, quite significantly as well. They just did a huge evaluation of their program at schools and it's free. Mm-hmm. Um, and so really what we're doing is just taking, we're not, you know, this isn't, we're not, I'm not the first person to say we should have mindfulness in schools. That's for no, sure. No, no, no. Um, uh, but to, to, I, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like, <laughs> right. I'm not accusing you of ripping off. <laughs> right. no, this is very different making it a discipline thing. And, and then also my, my thought is, is if you incorporate that into the di- discipline of a child, is that going to make them want more meditation? Right, right. Or, well, I mean, and this is this is a a, a problem, right? And yeah. this is a, an issue is that you know, do you do you re do you sort of contextualize or do you define you know mindfulness as punishment? So are you are you are you all of a sudden saying you know you're being punished with mindfulness, and so now a kid a kid doesn't want to do mindfulness because it's it's something that's that's seen as being a a punishment practice, or is it, you know, it's got, so I think that there's, it's got to be a nuanced approach. And this is why we're doing sort of scientifically and trying to, to build it up really, uh, really clearly and adding a uh, whole training context around it. Because what the goal is, is to, to re, re, really rethink the relationship between the disciplinarian and the person who's being disciplined. And so the idea is to recontextualize punishment, not to recontextualize this, you know, mindfulness as being, as punishment. So we're saying punishment is not, you know, you're not being punished because you're a bad kid, right? You just don't have these skills yet. You just don't have some of these things that the underlying cause of you being disruptive or aggressive or acting out is oftentimes a failure of self-control, simply an inability to control one's behaviors and emotions, actions, and any for pay attention for a long period of time. And this is something that can help you do that. And so if you don't have enough of it, then here's something that, you know, you need, you need some time to spend, (laughs) building that and this is a way to do that yeah i mean i'm definitely frustrated that there wasn't um such things when i went to school because i i was the i was always in trouble yeah i would never paid attention to anything same always totally and uh uh yeah i i mean (laughs) it it is that will be tricky to reframe it as Mm. as kind of this opportunity Mm. um because also so so take the other end of it what what if kids like love this 15 minute timeout now. Right. So they're now getting they're in trouble so they can, get, so they can do the, do the mindfulness. So I you know it's, it's, you know, it's a good, it's a good question. And there's, you know, I think there's a lot of, this isn't as simple as saying, okay, we're just going to start, you know, tell your kid meditate for five minutes instead of, instead of being, uh, instead of going to timeout. I think there's a, a broader, this, this has to be a bigger project and a bigger, you know, more, more, uh, nuanced intervention or implementation, because I think there are issues around that. Well, um, 
th- this is interesting because I started the the uh, conversation saying you do this thing that has nothing to do with all of your other work, mm. and now after we've had the conversation, you look at your other work, which is related to emotions and decision making, self control, yeah, self control, positive approach to conflict resolution and leadership. So now this is all making sense. Mm. Um, I guess it is related. Uh, <laughs> now, that, yeah. now that you mention it, <laughs> yeah, yeah, resilience, <laughs> right, um, right. I, I mean, organization, maybe not as much, but can we talk a little bit about, well, I mean, we can go anywhere you want, yep. but I'm um, probably right now most interested in um, emotion. Actually, I have two things. One, just from a personal level, I just started having uh, like a, um, more employees, uh, like an assistant and some other people helping me. Right. And I'm new to that. Right. And I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so if you have any help, uh, there, or maybe we can talk. Yeah, see, you have, a, you, you, have a, you have a traveling organization or is this a, uh, no, no, <laughs> no, no right. Right. Cause I don't uh, see them uh, around here. They're, 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 no, no, <laughs> are they, in, are they in the basement? <laughs> right. No, they, they work remotely right, at got their it. own pace. Right. Got it. Um, okay. But you're trying to manage these folks. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a lot to manage. Yeah. Um, and so, but then I'm also, I, I think that uh, that meditation naturally um, leads very well into emotions and decision making. Mm. Um, and, and so if you have uh, just any, so for the listeners, Adam and I met um, like a, a week and a half ago yeah, or something Yeah, about like a week and a half ago, yeah. And hung out and I was like, you want to come on the show, but I have no mm. time to research anything. Right. So I would prefer if you want to just like come on and have a cool conversation about yeah, the man. things that you're interested in. And so that's, uh, that's what we're doing. I'm right. Being, I, this is, this is part of my, uh, this is, this is where my organization right, um, right, is right, right now. Right. It's like, I don't have time for this. You know what? I'll just wing it. And <laughs> this right. is the majority right. of my life right, right now is just winging it. You know, uh, and that, that, that sort of improvisation is, is an important part of being a good leader. Right. So, uh, so, you, you, can, <laughs> so you know, this is, this, this winging it, I think is, is a good, is a good practice for you then yeah. for, uh, for managing your other folks yeah and, and and then also i need to kind of get the cult off the ground you know right there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff yeah you're working on now you don't it's, it's building up tag, that's going to be a whole nother set of employees that are going to have a whole other set of needs yeah right? yeah um, i mean because right now it's like there's like people i have to pay and whatnot mm. but if you're a cult leader they're actually paying you for yeah yeah but they still got needs you know yeah, you've got to if it's really it's it's all about you know engaging them around the things that they they find to be important <laughs> and setting a setting a purpose and setting a goal and you know aligning people with their strengths so it's, it's, <laughs> it's really all the same <laughs> uh, so <laughs> I, I, I like that I, I really we should have just from the start been like alright let's sit down and figure out how we can start a cult right now right um, well do you want to should we go there <laughs> <laughs> if you have thoughts on how to start a cult I think that would be uh, that would be fun yeah I um, I suppose I haven't really thought that much about it Every day of my life. But, uh, but I've got a number of sort of people that I've identified in my life who I think would be excellent cult leaders. <laughs> and so, you know, I think, I think sort of thinking about some sort of, some sort of, well, yeah, and thinking of some sort of development program from, from, from here. I mean, you need to have a, uh, you, mean, you need to really have a purpose, right? You need to have, so I, again, I think there might be a, no, I got nothing. 
that's okay. Yeah. Let's talk. I was just being silly. Yeah. Um, let's talk about uh, emotions and decision making. Okay. Um, what, uh, what, what's some of your past work and what's something in, uh, related that's been on your mind? <sighs> well, you know, one of the things I've worked on a little bit was uh, sort of decision making around escalation of commitment, which is a process where you start doing something, um, start investing money in a project and then, or time or resources of some kind. And then eventually you realize that, or the, the, you get some feedback that says that this is probably not going to work. Um, and yet you still keep throwing money at it and, um, you keep throwing money at it because either you've, you know, you got to justify all the money you already spent or all the time you already spent. So you've been working on a dec- effect. What's that? Yeah, exactly. It's a sunk cost, sunk right? Cost. Sunk cost, sunk cost. So, right. So you've been more, you know, you go to, go to college, you know, you go to college to be a, I don't know, something accountant. Right. And then you realize halfway through that you're like, I hate accounting. Mm-hmm. There's no way I'm going to be an accountant. Well, and, all this money. and, but you're like, well, I just, I got to finish it. Cause like I spent all this money on, 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 and I've spent all this time, I spent two years studying accounting and now I've got to just keep on going. Um, and so there are these different, uh, different reasons why people might, uh, might do that. It might be because they've spent all this money or they might be like, well, you know, I'm almost done, right? I've almost gotten to the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's this, there's this maybe competing goals. One is to complete things that you have started. So you're getting, and as you get closer to the end of something, the more your motivation to complete that thing goes, even if you know that at the end, you're not going to get what you wanted out of it, right? So that, so the closer you feel to the end, the more you're going to be motivated to finish, even throw more resources out of it, at it, even though you're not going to achieve your initial goal. And you might even re, re, uh, re, re, uh, reframe the entire experience as just completing it. Oh, I've just got to get that degree done um, rather than, oh, I really want to be an accountant. Um, or it could be, you know, related to the, the costs that you've sunk into things in the in the past. Um, and so, you know, some just a public paper I published last year in the Journal of Experimental Social Psychology uh, talks a little bit about this process and says that it functions somewhat differently for different kinds of people. And so, we have uh, certain kinds of people who are more. We talked about this yesterday. This uh, this idea: some people are, have more of a sort of a scarcity mindset, um, and other people have more yeah, of an abundance uh, mindset. Yeah, let's. Um, uh... And and this is. Uh, can, can, can you just explain a, l- a little bit of that for the sure. so everyone knows what you're talking well, about? Well, you know, in, this in, was a fun conversation we was. had over uh, over brunch, right? Over mimosas. Mm-hmm. Um, the well, bottomless mimosas bottomless because mimosas. I'm, uh, <laughs> right. you know, right. it's just a wise economic decision. It not was. an alcoholic, <laughs> right? No, of course all. not. No, no, no. It was uh, it was purely purely based <laughs> on the value value proposition. It's uh, well, there's there's really, I mean, there's lots of ways of talking about this this idea of, of scarcity mind of the, this sort of scarcity versus abundance mindset um, in the psychological literature. It's talked about in terms of something called uh, regulatory focus or self uh, self regulatory focus, like a your promotion focused. You're focused on getting good things, making gains. You know, strategic. You know, eagerly approaching things that you want in this world, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then there is something called prevention, being prevention focused, which is uh, you're trying to avoid bad things from happening. So you're really vigilant to making sure that 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 threats don't come up on you. So, and both of these are sort of reasonable evolutionary strategies that you could either survive because you make good things happen, or you could survive because you stop bad things from happening. Um, and so I have the, the uh, I have the first mind. You're the first mind. Yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, very much so. I'm, uh, I I take huge risks. I don't. Uh, I don't. If anything, I don't evaluate uh, mm. uh, risks well and, and, and the costs involved right. and don't 
care about them nearly enough. No, I know. And so, you know, I think, I think uh, a lot of times, and I don't have any empirical evidence to say this is true, but I think a lot of times uh, promotion-focused people and prevention-focused people end up getting together because um, you, you sort of balance each other out a little bit. One person's going out there and making things happen, um, but not caring that much about the risks, and the other person is stopping you from you know, driving completely off. Reeling game. it in a little yeah, bit. Yeah, just reeling That's, it in. I, I call those people girlfriends. Yeah, girlfriends. That's exactly right. <laughs> Wives, in my case. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they're also buzz killers. <laughs> but seriously, absolutely necessary for survival. Arguably the most necessary, right? Probably, yeah. Well, you know, equally necessary. Um, <laughs> so, um, so the idea is that you have these different, um, you know, sort of foci, or you have these different tendencies, each of us, um, and that you might choose that everybody is sort of susceptible to this to this um, tendency to to escalate commitment to a losing course of action but but possibly for different reasons and the idea in the paper was a, it was a minor very incremental paper but the idea was that you know if you're promotion focused you're more likely to be focused on completing things right so you're going to be very sensitive to cues that tell you you're very close to being near the end of something and therefore you're much more likely to escalate to things if you think you were really close to the end you're not going to care that much about what the, the stuff you sunk in it already in the past because that's in the past mm-hmm. right screw the past yeah, that was the past. Future is bright. That's, that was past you, yeah. <laughs> right? I'm caring. I'm thinking about future me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, while whereas somebody who's prevention focused might be more backwards looking and thinking about trying to avoid uh, additional losses and so forth. Um, and so we found that at least for promotion focused people, that they're they are very sensitive to these sort of completion cues, uh, much more so than than people who are prevention focused. And mm-hmm. that was really that's what I mean. That was that was essentially what what we what we found. And the, I mean, the idea is basically if that is the kind of person that you are, you got to be wary of the kinds of cues that are telling you to to keep going when it's when there might be a you know, especially feeling like you're really close to being something being done. You might both. Um, overestimate the likelihood that things are going to get completed, but also be highly influenced by those cues. So, um, you know, I just, I, again, I think we all study, like I'm a psychologist and we all study things that are close to our home. And so I, you know, I close to our hearts and I, you know, I think being promotion focused is something that's, that's always been a, a both a bane and a, yeah, I'm, well, I'm going through this right now. I've been this year, I've been trying to, um, uh, do my podcast live mm. in places and um and i anticipated it being an investment like my my tour right now that uh, that uh is really really successful for yeah. me took me about six months of sinking in um costs right and losing money on right, it right, and right. then i figured it out right and uh and so so i was like well if it's if if i lose money on doing the live podcast for six months and then it pays off. But now I'm starting to be like, ah, I don't, this isn't, mm. it's, it's not uh, take. And yeah. so, yeah. I mean, that's the so, thing is like, when, when do you make that, when do you make that call? Right. It's because like, it's yeah. like my baby. Yeah, and it's exactly. the thing that I could, so, so I know that I'm biased, but yeah. then I also think that I might just be missing a few things. Like if I change the name rather than calling it the, here we are podcast live. And then there's a bunch of people being like, well, I don't listen to that podcast. So why would I go to that show? Right. Changing the name and like, just making it something, you know, science plus comedy equal you know, or plus it, it, something that something that uh i i've given it right. zero thought right. what that name will be heaven's but, gate but, uh, yeah yeah um, <laughs> it's a wonderful name <laughs> right, exactly. um, it, but something that just kind of illustrates the idea of, of what this is. this is a live event where a comedian's interviewing scientists mm. in in a funny t- and that that can be enough 
to like like all I did was change the title in my last show, yeah. and that changed things tremendously because right. it just made it cleared things up a little bit. Right. So it could be. And what I want it to be yeah. is that I'm just missing some little change like that. But yeah. then I'm also worried that I'm like, ah, am I just too emotionally attached to this idea for right? Like, I know mm. that it's going to happen eventually because mm -hmm. the podcast keeps on growing. Right. But I'm not sure that now is. I've tried it out like six, seven times now. Right. I'm like, oh, this might be a little too early for this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. You know, this is uh, this is un uncharted territory for me. So I, but I think, uh, I think. I'm not asking you what to do. I'm just saying, right. like, these are the kind of decisions that we oh, all have. Right, right. Uh, like, I've got no go, advice for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Um, where, where, whereas, whereas, I feel like I. Uh, also, don't people have activate different parts of this? Like, I feel like I have a scarcity mindset when it comes on uh, to taking new projects. Like, if someone reaches out to me and they're like, "We want to do a documentary," yeah, I'm like, well, I've never done a documentary before, yeah. and, and so I'm like, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to sink a bunch of time into it, and uh, and who knows? And these things are hard to sell, and, right. and blah blah blah. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's a. Uh... You know, and I think you said it actually is, is interesting because I feel like you said it very well yesterday that it's really about defining the the purpose of what you're trying to accomplish and and being sure being clear about what that what that really is. And uh, this was in the context of Pete's show, but saying you know what do you really want to get out of this this podcast? You know what like what is it successful only if you're like if if this is a, like a massive commercial success or is it is there more is are there other things that are psychologically really beneficial cult, you know? right you, <laughs> right you just want to, you're right you just want a following of people who um, will do anything you say no i i think that if i were able to make enough money on it to live for it to make sense yeah. for me to fly to a city and put on this all that i need to do is like, like even if I were making the t just above breaking even on it, because my stand-up is is where most of my income right. comes. I don't care about making right. money on this podcast. I just can't lose any more money than what I'm already investing into right. it. Right, 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 and right. So it wouldn't take that much to satisfy me because I also just have it's it's the most fun right that, that I have. Right, and so that has. Uh, right, tremendous and that, value. That has value right there, right? And yeah. So it's fun. It puts you in, in, in touch with interesting people, right? And but I, I, yeah, here it's it's a uh, you know I guess in uh, I teach negotiations, right? And one of the uh, the concepts in negotiation is so, so what would be the best alternative to doing this? Like what would be you know because it's really the, the decision to keep going or not going is not based on like whether you you're liking it or not or whether but whether there's an alternative that would be better mm -hmm. than this one. So if you were going, because you're spending time and you're spending resources on this, certainly. Um, but, you know, there, it might be worth investing a little bit of time thinking about, well, what else, rather than whether trying to evaluate whether this is working or tweaking this and saying, what else could I be doing? And then that'll give you a better judge of whether this is the right thing to keep spending your money on or spending your time on. Yeah, yeah. Like I actually did just commit to doing a documentary and I'm really excited about it, but yeah. that's also time consuming. Right, of course. And so maybe it's like, well, if I put this on, if I put the live podcast on the back burner for a little while yeah. and then I'll have more listeners and everything else and it'll be easier to relaunch. But then it's also rather than, so I thought it would be amazing to tour around and go to a bunch of different cities with yep. it. And that's just not practical at this point to spend marketing on a bunch of different cities now i'm like well if i can do it in one city and have it be a regular thing and like mm. or two cities you know but um 
Yeah. 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 Anyway, I, I think this is the question more for a marketer than it's yeah, 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 <laughs> than yeah. a decision so, maker. I've been. Yeah. I've had a lot on my mind lately. So yeah. I'm talking about myself. Yeah. Yeah. No. 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 Way more it's all. It's all. Man. It's all good. Do. I'm. Uh, but you know, let's go. Let's go deep into your uh, your 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 uh, your psyche. Actually. <laughs> oh yeah. What, what's this? Oh, I forgot. Uh, I I forgot to bring this up. Right. <laughs> we were going to. I, I frantically went to uh, start the podcast because you're talking right before we started. Adam's like, "Oh, let me uh, just I I just gotta check something once in a while, and it's your life." You're <laughs> right, checking. just checking to make sure I don't die <laughs> mid podcast. Um, so this is uh, this is actually this is a glucose monitor. I uh, I uh, it's like an electric one. I got a little sensor on my uh, on my arm that I wear, and uh, it's uh, yeah. In in so in. November or October, I guess I was, uh, I was just very thirsty, not, not sure why I was super thirsty. And I went to the doctor and I was like, you know, I'm really thirsty <laughs> and I've got, you know, I've got some, a lot of going on this weekend. So, and, uh, she, she did a few tests and said, you're, you're, I thought, you know, maybe I've got, I don't know. What, what do you think it is? Maybe it's the ulcer. I don't know. I mean, who knows why you get thirsty? And she's like, you actually, turns out you have di- type one diabetes <laughs> and you're about to die. So go to, go to the hospital. Um, um and that so, is awful. Yeah, I don't know yeah, why I'm crazy. No, it was, it was bizarre. It was a bizarre experience. And like, you know, you just go and then all of a sudden it's uh, all of a sudden you've got this thing. And it's actually, you know, that's, a, that's another area that I've been sort of gotten interested in recently is the sort of idea of what happens when you get like ill late in life especially when you've been like a healthy person your whole life. Mm. And so now it's totally under control. I've just got to keep an eye on it. And this, this thing helps me, helps me do that. Um, but, um, but recently, you know, the, you know one of my, I saw a talk that was very interesting about how leaders who, especially as people get, you know, leaders have bad things happen to them. They have, they get cancer, they get all kinds of different diseases. And then the content, then it's, so what does that mean for your identity as a, as a leader when now you're sort of a sick person? Um, and that sort of change in that, that sort of, uh, dual identity now of being somebody who's powerful and in charge, but also somebody who has this sort of vulnerability and sickness and stuff like that. So whether people divulge that at work and whether they they talk about that with other people or whether they sort of keep that to themselves uh, becomes like sort of an important dynamic and whether somebody actually deals with their illness well, has some, some relationship with how they, how they deal with it at work. Um, so it's something that's, 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 that's something else that's come up recently, but this is, so this, I just sort of <laughs> keep an eye on things, make sure I don't, uh, um, uh, but I'm not going to die. It's fine. All right. Well, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I, if I were, if I had to have one of those monitors, I would make sure and hide it from all of my cult members. Um, <laughs> definitely going, going forward. I don't want to, I, I don't know how much, how much you can say, but do you know what the, the kind of next steps that you're going to be taking? Cause we got to wrap up in like two minutes oh, so sure. you can jump on another call. Right. Um, but do you know so, some of the next steps that you want to take with, uh, with, um, some of your meditation work and, so, I mean, this is uh, going to be a, an extensive project. We're applying for a big grant and um, and partnering with a bunch of schools and and um, I got a big uh, research team that I've I've organized around this and um, hopefully we'll move forward with it. Um, I think you know there's a lot there's a lot of different pieces that need to come together and we're we're working on those things. But over the next three years, we're going to be testing out these different interventions and, and different ways of, of thinking about this in schools and hopefully finding some good results and, and influencing sort of policy and, and practice within the within both Australia and, and, and the U.S. So I have high hopes for where this is going, but I'm also realistic. Awesome. Well, I'm going to, I plan to be in Melbourne um, about one year from now. Oh, great, man. So well, let's, around, let's, let's hang we'll, out for sure. Uh, yeah, going to the International Comedy Fest? Uh, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's the plan. Yeah, wicked. 
Um, awesome. Well, Adam Barsky, everybody, thank you for joining. Yeah, me, man. Thank Adam, you, Shane. And thank you, listeners, for being a wonderfully curious people. Hey, guys. Thanks for all the Patreon love. Currently, it's all going toward my documentary, helping do all sorts of various things. Already looking to go over budget, which is just the norm with these kinds of projects. Speaking of which, if anyone happens to have a 12 terabyte hard drive just sitting around collecting dust, you're not doing anything with it, and uh, we could use it for a few months to use for backup and various other things with the documentary, that would be tremendously helpful. We're a low budget operation, and uh, those things are like a thousand bucks or something like that. We might end up just getting a used one. But um, maybe one of you has one that you're not using that we could use for a few months. That would be really, really cool. You can always go to the herewearepodcast.com website and click on Ask a Scientist. That goes directly to me. Um, <laughs> we'll never change the name of that. And. Yeah, and oh, all of you that emailed me when I first had Nina on, I still haven't gotten all my stuff together. I, I have a handle up on tons of stuff in my life now. I still haven't gotten a handle on going back through my old emails, and I know so many of you reached out and offered um, some help, and that's amazing. If you didn't hear back from me, please email me again. I'm kind of getting my uh, my new assistant is, is nearly... Um, trained in and so um she'll be able to help organize some of this uh a little better for us and um so yeah so resend that sorry if i didn't get back to you i uh absolutely overwhelmed and inundated with emails and yeah but it's it's coming together guys i'm feeling really good about it uh laughable app Let's make sure and give them a plug. Discover podcasts through the comedians you love. You can go to podcasts. Um, you can go to comedians that you've heard on other podcasts and see um, other podcasts that they are on. All all the podcasts they've ever been on, every podcast they've ever hosted. It's a wonderful resource to dig in and get more and more content. Everyone's hungry for that content these days. And I'm trying to put it out there. I got uh, I got Laugh's new location in Seattle, Washington, coming out in uh, April 26th. If I sound a little under the weather uh, right now, it's because I am not sleeping much these days. And then I just flew today. Um, travel day, lots going on. Exciting week. I'm going to get some sleep. I'm going to um, record a ton of really awesome things this week including a here we are podcast that i have been looking forward to for three years now so yeah a bridgetown comedy festival coming up i'll be doing the here we are podcast live there and uh, a good trip there as well and we have um some midwest stuff coming up at the end of may Looking into maybe adding Louisville, all of this stuff will be added soon. I do have um, I do have Brooklyn and two New Jersey gigs um, at the end of May and June first, and I'm looking at doing some other northeast stuff. Trying to get caught up on um, some of my booking and figure out it, it's the added complication with no scheduling things for the documentary and a few other things I have going on. Um, 
But, uh, yeah, I appreciate all the support, guys. We're going to have another live episode for you guys next week. Um, I might have to slow down some of the live episodes. I still haven't figured out how to market them effectively. It's a really hit or miss um, getting getting people in depending on the city and everything else. And then the other aspect of it is it is just a tremendous amount of work. It's that much more work to do the live ones. And so with this documentary starting and because um, because the live podcasts haven't exactly taken off just yet, uh, I think I'm going to have to start reassessing a, a few things, but I still have uh, I still have four or five in the books for now and then might take a look at things um, come July and and make a few changes. But yeah, everything's going great and I appreciate the support. Those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are my favorite. Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would, it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you fuck 